my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. I have the distinct pleasure of introducing my guest today, who I met as a result of another amazing friend of mine, Jennifer McClure. So because of her and Twitter, I was able to fortunately connect with today's guest to have her come share some information with us and talk a little bit about the rebellious side of HR and why it's important for us as HR professionals to put on that rebellious side when it's needed. So I welcome to the sound booth, Laurie Rudiman. Did I say that right, Laurie? Nailed it. Thank you so much. I'm already happy to be here. I said my name correctly. I'm now super pleased. Thanks for having me. Oh, you are certainly welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. So let's get right into it. I don't read bios. I prefer for my guests to tell us who they are. So can you tell us, Laurie, what is your HR origin story? How did you get here? Hmm. Well, like most people, my origin story is an accidental one. Uh, I thought I was going to go to law school and take on the world and fight for people. And I had too much student debt to afford graduate school. So I went to my university and said, I need a job. And they put me in an internship program in human resources. And I asked, what's HR? And they're like, don't worry about it. Cause you're going to go in this company and you're going to see sales and marketing and you'll find a job there and you'll live happily ever after. And I got to this job and realized pretty quickly that I liked hearing people's stories. I liked being an advocate. I liked being a champion. Unfortunately, nobody in HR liked that about me. (laughs) So people were really frustrated that I saw the human in human beings. They wanted me to be more compliance driven. Mm -hmm. So I did that job for about 12 years, progressively different jobs, more responsibility and left um, when I was completely burnt out and exhausted because I thought. I was the only one feeling this way. And it turns out I was wrong. I just didn't have a community. So it took me quitting my job to find a community. Yes. And now I'm on a path to help people stay in their jobs and find a community and find peace and well-being before it's too late. Wow, that is such a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm going to pull some things out of your story so we could talk about them. So you mentioned that you got it through, you started with the, your internship. So how do you find internships in HR? Would you recommend them? How do you think people should go about trying to acquire an internship in HR? Sure. This was so long ago that I just raised my hand and asked, but 
I am on record telling individuals that the only way to learn how to do HR is to do HR. So Mm -hmm. whether that's an internship or going straight into a job when you're in in university, whatever it is, you're never going to learn the role until you do the role. Mm -hmm. But the only way you get anything in life, whether there's a formal program or not, is to ask for it. So if you're passionate about people and really helping to optimize human performance, Mm -hmm. raise your hand sooner rather than later and say, I want in whether that's through a formal internship program or just by asking someone, you know, for a recommendation into an organization. But I think the sooner we get going with the work of our lives, the bigger our impact. Oh, I love that. I love what you just said about the work of our lives, because I think that a lot of times we don't recognize the importance of finding something that we want to do that we really love because we're going to do it for the rest of our life. Pretty much. Uh, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. And it's really important for people to understand their ask. I think a lot of people don't are are not able to properly articulate their ask. And as a result, they end up in careers that they really don't want to be in. I'm hearing a lot of conversations of late, where people are saying that the careers that they or the study path that they chose was because they were living, their parents were living vicariously through them. For sure. That's called a happenstance career where you Mm -hmm. fall into something. Mm -hmm. And there's not been a lot of research on happenstance careers, but they're very common, probably more common than we think. We just kind of wind up doing the thing we're doing without really ever pausing to think about what motivates us. Where would we be good? Now, it is a privilege to do the work of your life and Mm -hmm. not everybody can do that. But the work of your life could be volunteer work. It could be parenting. It could be just reading and researching and being a peer mentor. There are a lot of different options around how we define work. But to do the thing that makes you happy, at least slightly every Mm -hmm. day, is not a privileged goal. It's what we deserve as human beings. So I recognize that we all have bills to pay Mm -hmm. and we all have things we need to do with our lives. So do that. And if it doesn't bring you joy and satisfaction, back off of that just a little bit and create some space for the work of your life outside of work. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. I could not have said it better either. So thank you so much for sharing that. I wait, Julie, I think you can say anything better than I can. You're such a <laughs> wonderful podcast host. My goodness. Uh, I feel like you've been doing this for 10 years and it's not been 10 years. It's not been 10 years. I just completed my first year of podcasting, but you know what? It's that thing that you said, I call it doing the thing that makes your heart sing. Oh, I love that. And See, that's, that's what beautiful. podcasting is for me. It's that thing that makes my heart sing. And because I'm talking to people who share similar passions or even have a bigger passion than me that enhances my passion, that's that's the winner every time, every it. time. Yeah. I love it. I love that energy around it too. I think you're right. When you see someone who is doing something really important to them, mm-hmm. that's infectious. That's contagious. It Absolutely. makes me want to go do the same thing, mm-hmm. maybe not in the same space, but that's why I try to surround myself with people like Jennifer McClure, like Steve yes. Brown. Mm-hmm. We may not be perfectly aligned on every issue, but when I see Jennifer doing her thing on stage, mm-hmm. Me want to cheer her on and yes. be her biggest advocate, but also to just do my work. Yeah, I think that's like the core of my friendship with Jennifer. Really, mm-hmm. two women trying to do the best that they can and supporting one another. So I'm glad you're a fan of Jennifer McClure because so um, am I. 
Yeah, she's absolutely amazing. And I cannot even begin to speak about how grateful I am for the period of time that she entered my life. And not just, well, I was introduced to Disrupt Later actually by Katrina Collier, who's from the UK. Yes, I love Katrina. The moment Katrina introduced me to Jennifer, it was like, wow. (laughs) I love it. We're fangirling over here. We're fangirling (laughs) over here. And you know what? It's so funny because when I interviewed Jennifer on my podcast, she was fangirling over Rihanna because she's like, yeah, you're from Barbados. You must know where Rihanna lives. <laughs> when I come to Barbados, let's, let's go stock her house. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. I have to say, Jennifer has some moves. She can dance and she loves to dance oh, to Rihanna. Really? It's so funny. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Get her at a Sherm party with a, one little glass of wine and she starts dancing. So. <laughs> okay. I'm taking copious notes of what I need to do to bring out the real Jennifer McClure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So you talk about me being a podcaster, but Laurie, I am a huge fan of punk rock HR. Huge fan. Can you please tell us a little bit about how you started punk rock HR? Why? What was your why for starting Mm -hmm. punk rock HR? Well, um, I feel like a broken record, but Jennifer McClure is like, I'm going to start a podcast, Lori, and you should start one too. And I'm like, all right, okay. I do whatever this woman tells me to do. And so I started it before her. <laughs> it's like, You're kidding. Jen likes to think about things, you know, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, very organized that way. And I'm yeah. someone who just goes with my heart, but that's really the ethos of punk rock HR. Um, I want to talk to people who are fixing work in counterintuitive ways. Yes. And so sometimes that means talking to politicians. Sometimes it means talking to HR professionals, but if there's anybody out there who's doing something interesting in the world of work, I want to connect with them and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest journey for me with the podcast is not like, not like that I'm going out and fixing work, but that I'm connecting with people and having deeper, richer conversations. And that has been a lifesaver during mm-hmm. COVID when we're all isolated. I'm trying to have conversations with people that matter and then bring those conversations into the real world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I love doing it. I think um, if everything else around me failed and my podcast succeeded, I would still be happy. Well, I am sure that you are a success all around. I oh, see God. that. <laughs> I see that complete. You are an all-rounder. So do I not do. talk to my family or my husband because they have the stories. Oh, oh my God, I'm a failed human being, just like anybody else. I think that's one of the things that I try to bring out in you know in everything I do, whether it's yes. blogging, podcasting, writing my book. Mm-hmm. I. I write about the underbelly of my life in as much yes. as I can. I need to be respectful to other people around me, but mm-hmm. um, I'm a woman who takes two steps forward and three steps back yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm able to do anything in this world is through the grace of others who just say, you know what? She's trying, let her yeah. try. <laughs> and then because every once in a while I'm early mm-hmm. and I get it right. I mean, I was early to blogging. I was early to being a public speaker. I was mm-hmm. early in the space. Mm-hmm. And because I'm early and because I make mistakes, I like to pull others up with me and let them make mistakes and let them have an opportunity. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just how I operate, but I'm a terrible human being. I was picking fights with my husband the other night (laughs) over hot chocolate. He made hot chocolate and it was too hot. He's like, Lori, are you that kind of person? I'm like, Ken, I am. 
this hot chocolate is too hot. <laughs> I know exactly what you were talking about because I think if you talk to my children or, you know, it's probably the same thing. Like just the other day, my daughter called, she's like, you're so goofy. And that, you know, so it's like how you see yourself, how other people outside of your family see you. But when you hear it from your children or your husband, it's like, OK, so this is I'm really a disastrous yeah, excuse yeah. for a human being. In their yeah. eyes. Am <laughs> I really picking fights with my spouse, my partner for life over the temperature of hot chocolate? But what is, I'm like, Ken, this thing is 200 degrees. I can't even sip it. Why would you? serve this to me. And he's like, cause I love you and I want to make you hot chocolate. chocolate. So eventually I shut up and apologized, but mm-hmm. it was, it was super, super it hot. hot. It was lawsuit hot. Oh, wow. It's a good thing. He's your partner for life. <laughs> <laughs> no. You made this transition from law to HR at just the right time. I did. I did before I could truly argue about why I'm winning You could really focus on the human side of him. <laughs> I am. I love that man dearly. And I will leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) There will be no edits here. That's right. Uh, If you send me his email address, I'll send this to him personally. Oh, he knows. I mean, he's in the other room right now. So he can hear me talking about it. He can hear you loud and clear. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. So like I said, to me, Lori, I've lived in this space for a very long time. I think we talked about this just before we started recording, where I felt like from an as an HR professional from an HR perspective the importance of us doing better being better I talk Mm. about this all the time in my podcast and feeling alone but then finding that community that you talked about where you have people who feel the same way that you do passionate just the same way as you are you recognize that you're not alone in this space what is it that made you recognize after all your years in HR that HR needed to do better and be better? Well, I had a moment in an airport back in the day when I had a job (laughs) where I was tired and depleted and young and had back pain and was heavier than I needed to be and just could not really get up and get motivated to catch my next connecting flight. I mean, I was dragging, it was terrible. And I was eating Starburst, which is a candy for dinner and <laughs> drinking Pepsi at seven o'clock at night. It was terrible. And flipping through a tabloid magazine and wondering how do all these famous celebrities get a swing? How do they get to do what they want to do? And I'm sitting here struggling. And I realized that whether it's a corporation or a celebrity, they put themselves first. Mm -hmm. Their experience in the world was really developed by goals and ambitions. And they said, no matter what, no matter what gets in my way, I want to do these things. And I was really lacking goals. I was really lacking ambition. I was really physically falling apart at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And that night at the airport, I made a decision to turn my life around and to start asking myself important questions. Who did I want to be? What was really in my way? What were the stories I was telling myself? Mm -hmm. And I also realized that if my experience was terrible at work, I could never fix work in HR for other people. If I didn't love my job and take good care of myself and really commit to living in the world in a better and more honest way, Mm -hmm. there was no policy or program that I could implement that could improve people's lives. So I realized in that moment, 
companies put themselves first. That's how they succeed in the marketplace. I needed to do that. Mm -hmm. And in order to fix work for other people, I needed to fix myself first. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment. It wasn't overnight. Um, I write about this in the first chapter of my book. Mm -hmm. It it took a while, but I started making inroads and baby steps. Mm -hmm. And eventually when I started to feel good enough about me, I realized I no longer could have that job at Pfizer where I worked a global pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. I needed to go out on my own. And that was not an easy transition, but I made it and I did it. And I feel like through that transition, I'm fixing work. But Julie, I will tell you, had I had someone like me Mm -hmm. in my life Mm -hmm. back in the day, I wouldn't have quit that job. But I really felt like I was alone. So it is part of my life's mission to show that if you're feeling isolated, you feel different, don't just quit your job. There are other ways to tackle this problem. There's other ways to find community, to focus on well-being, actually to focus on your own self-leadership and to be more accountable for your life's experience, to take risks, to learn. You can do these things and still keep your day job. You don't have to do what I did, which is blow it all up. But if you're (laughs) going to blow it all up, I talk about that as well. So yeah, that's my kind of origin story. But I really feel like, Julie, I'm so glad you sought out this Mm -hmm. community you have because it affirms that I'm actually doing good good work. So thank you. Oh, you are very welcome. I, 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 I'm a firm believer in, you know, making sure that whenever you're making a conscious decision that affects your career, while you want to do the stuff that, as I said, makes your heart sing, you really need to be rational about it. So, I mean, even like when I left my nine to five in October to pursue all this that is me now, which is HR heart and, and, and all of those other things, I literally have never felt so sure about doing that because I had built a foundation before. And my foundation consisted of this amazing community of people that said, actually, the week before I left, I had a catch up call with Jennifer. And I, but Wait, we should call this podcast the Jennifer McClure podcast. We should. We we really should. You know, and I said to her, I've been saying to her for months before, you know, I really know that I'm coming to the conclusion of this phase of nine to five Mm. for a company in my life. And I feel safe now to do it because I've had a community who I've sought feedback from who has said, you know, just be rational you know, make sure you have certain things in place, but you could do this. You've got this. You've got this. But it wasn't just that they said that I got it. I actually then believed that I Mm. I actually did have it. I love that. I love it. And so I was able then to make that conscious decision to be like, okay, I'm okay that this is over. For sure. I love that you built that community. You built that infrastructure. You know, it's real important. You're right to be rational around our life's decisions. And Mm -hmm. we so very rarely are. We Mm -hmm. escalate and we have this like inner scared animal that's running on overdrive. And so I tell people, this is something I've been saying for 25 years now, you know, your CEO takes a second before he makes a decision. Your CEO eats lunch. Your CEO gets eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. You need all of that to really manage your career. And so a lot of people say to me, well, I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm just going to go be a consultant. I'm like, you know what? Why don't you work 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week and take that extra space to think about this decision. Mm -hmm. Think about how you can apply your current paycheck to what you want to do in the future, how you can 
differently, how you can spend differently, Mm -hmm. but start to run your life. Like a CEO would run his or her life. And a CEO would never just launch into something without having a community of people around him or her to say, this is a good decision. And I support you. So Julie, Mm -hmm. you're the CEO of your life. I love it. That's right. Yeah. There's no, I wouldn't have done it. I would have probably done it some other way and still ended up here, but I'm glad that I did it this way to, to end up here. I'm not saying that there aren't moments that I still don't have days where I go, what on earth am I doing? What was I thinking? (laughs) Those days still happen every once in a while. You're going to have them for the rest of your life as an entrepreneur. (laughs) But I'm so, I have it less than I do, you know, I freak out less than I would normally, you know, and that's, and that's because of good rational decisions, but good people in my space to encourage me to do that. And I would encourage any HR professional, any human being. But even I speak more so from an HR perspective, because I know a lot of people that want to step away or they want to step in. Yes. And how do you step in? Don't step in thinking about the admin or the, the compliance of it all. Think about the people of it all. Yeah. I love that. I lo- I'm thinking about the duality of that. You know, when I want to step into someone else's life. So I'm just going to run with this because Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. The other thing that the other thing that I want to do before I even go and give someone advice or cheer them on is really understand who they are and what they're all about. And Mm -hmm. something that we talked about, like as a thread throughout this conversation, Julie, is really connecting to people on a human to human level. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really what's the, the foundational discussion of this entire conversation that we're having the only thing that HR is, is human. Mm. And when we forget that we fail. And I think we've been forgetting that for the past 40 years, we're starting to come back around to it, but Mm -hmm. we're not focused on the human being, whether they're in the function of HR, they're anywhere else in our organization, we're absolutely doing this wrong. And everything you do is about connecting to that human piece, which is why this conversation is so beautiful. Yes, I, I agree 100%. I'm going to take a moment to appreciate the pause because, you know, sometimes in speaking, we don't celebrate or appreciate the pause, but I'm appreciating the need to pause on that. You are awesome, Lori. Julie, I'm just super stoked to be here. I think it's really great. I, you know, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to come and see you in Barbados, but I know it's on my future. I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen and we're going to have a great time. I have the notes on, on Jennifer, so I'm going to make it even more fun. I just hope Rihanna is here and we don't well, get arrested for trying to get close. I, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, we don't want to end up in a jail cell no. somewhere for being stalkers. No, no, no definitely not. We'll no. find a way to figure that out. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I do best and take to Twitter and maybe Rihanna will answer. So, so we get, so. so we get things done. That's Laurie, right. let me ask you this. What are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you'd love to share with my audience to, you know, help them to do better and be better as HR professionals? Yeah, you know, I often tell people that the best thing they can do is read or consume media that's outside of the world of HR. And I Mm -hmm. know you agree with me, Julie. Absolutely. A book that is kind of adjacent, but um, is a little different that has really made me rethink money, Mm -hmm. which I think is so important. Mm -hmm. We've just been talking about stepping out on our own, you know, into Mm -hmm. the world of freelancers. And whether you have a full-time job or not, 
if you don't have a good relationship with money, you're never going to enjoy work. And so I've been reading and just finished this book called Mindful Money. Mm. And it's by Jonathan Dio. And what I love about this book is it's really kind of an entryway into really rethinking your relationship with finances. Mm -hmm. He's a former uh, Buddhist. He's a Buddhist scholar. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is that there are exercises at the end of each chapter. So I had Jonathan on my podcast because I was so motivated by the book. Uh I'm like, what do you want people to know about the book? He said, I want people to do the exercises. Oh, wow. To do the work. He really believes that if you do some of the exercises in his book, Mm -hmm. you're going to really rethink your relationship with money. And he's right. It's a lovely little book. Uh, paperback, not too expensive. And Mm -hmm. it's really been informative and helpful. So mindful money by Jonathan Dio. Okay. What have you learned so far from reading this book? Well, I learned that um, I'm still, even when I think I'm being financially responsible, I'm still a spender and not a saver. Uh And so I, I want to pat myself on the back. Oh, I bought that coat on sale. Well, you still bought that coat you didn't need. (laughs) So I still have some work to do myself. Um, But I think doing the work and being aware of the work is part of the challenge. So I know I could be better about my spending habits and I'm going to give myself credit for being there. (laughs) All right. Realization is the best thing. There you go. There you go. Once you get to that space, then anything is possible, right? I, I think that's true. I mean, you can't do anything good in this world unless you're mindful and you're thoughtful. So that's yes, right. Yes. Thank you. So here comes the big question. What is your biggest pet peeve about one of the misconceptions that people have about HR that you want to set the record straight on right now? What really grinds you when you hear people say about HR that you think, nope, that's not right. And I'm going to set the record straight right here, right now? Well, a lot of people like to blame HR for company policies or practices. Mm-hmm. HR doesn't have anything to do with that. Nope. And I think it's a misconception from workers. They want to blame HR for enforcing the rules. And it's also a misconception within HR. It's kind of like the debate we're having here in the United States. Mm-hmm. A lot of police officers are being accused of horrendous crimes, right? right. And some people say, Um, we should defund the police. And Mm -hmm. I I believe that as well in my Mm -hmm. heart. And it makes me think we should also defund HR because sometimes in police departments, you have officers who think they are the jury and Mm -hmm. the judge, and they Mm want to just demonstrate justice in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some HR professionals who want to jump in and solve and fix things Mm -hmm. and they don't have power to do that. And they oftentimes make it worse. Yeah. But I'm going to say something. Mm-hmm. If you're an employee and you're not behaving according to the employee handbook, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if HR stinks or not. You are ultimately accountable for your own behavior. Yes. Weird. So we're, I'm speaking in a big loop here, but for right. a reason, because there's this weird learned helplessness that employees will say, well, I didn't get that HR training on sexual mm. harassment. It's like, you don't need training. No. So the whole system to me reminds me of the debate we're having in the States around the police, but it's mm-hmm. just messed up at its foundation. Yeah. For me, the vision of HR in the future is to really enable more self-leadership with the workforce mm-hmm. and then create HR professionals who are almost consultants, advisors, yes. helping to get the organization to unlock human performance mm-hmm. instead of really worrying about the compliance stuff. The mm-hmm. compliance stuff can be handled in a completely different way. I don't uh, know. It's a long answer, but 
HR has no power. (laughs) That's the biggest misconception. Yes. Yes. I, I, I want to say that there are so many things that just came out of that, but immediately as you talked about what the future looked like for HR, I just continue to remember Wendy from billions. (laughs) She's like, we, you know, she focuses on people's performance. You don't see Wendy whip out a handbook. Nope. You know, when something isn't going right, she calls people out on it and she uses those the words that they need to hear at that time. That's, that's right. That's what HR really needs to become. You need to be the people that tell the truth and tell the hard truths that leadership, that employees don't really want to hear. Yes. But yeah, I agree with you 100% on that in terms of, you know, we, re- you know, when a policy is, is created, that policy is not created in the silo of one HR professional. Not at all. It goes through so many hoops. And then a lot of times you're dealing with government legislation, which, you know, you really can't do anything about at no. all, you know? No. Not unless you're an HR professional who follows her passions and goes and fixes government, which I think is something to talk about, you know, that or you're an definitely. HR professional who becomes a CEO. Now. That's going to be part of season one for 2020 from HR pro to CEO and how you make that happen. I love that. If you can develop that curriculum, Julie, you're going to be a billionaire. What? <laughs> okay. I need to think this thing through very rationally. <laughs> I mean, Laurie, that sounds like something we can take further. I, I love smell, it. I, love I smell it. a partnership, my friend. 2021 goals. I think that's good. That is definitely good. But that makes me want to ask you this question, which I know like is just coming from the top of my head. But a lot of times I've been having conversations about the hybrid office. What does the future look like past COVID-19 with work and the way we deal with workplace um, processes, procedures, and, and just, you know, making sure that people feel like they have a place and purpose at work? What does that look like to you? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little messy for a while. Mm-hmm. I think there's some companies that will do it right and will lean in and ask people what they need to be productive. And then I think there are other companies who will rush to get workers back to work. You know, it's a misnomer to believe that um, there are all these people out there who are working from home. Mm-hmm. It's such a small percentage of the population, relatively speaking. Most people still go to work every day yeah. and expose themselves to here in the United States, not only COVID, but gun violence mm-hmm. and sexual harassment and all these other things that are toxic viruses in our society. Yeah. So I think really um, taking the opportunity of COVID and putting our workforce first is the challenge of a lifetime and hopefully companies will step up. I I don't know whether or not to be optimistic yet. It might be too soon, but you know, will people still work from home in six months? Sure. Sure. Some will, will some go to the office sometimes part-time? Sure. Mm -hmm. Will we rethink onboarding? We're rethinking it now, you know, and is it all overdue? Of course it's all overdue. Mm -hmm. What I worry about is HR patting itself on the back for doing this work. Because I think had we done this work, a year ago, Mm -hmm. then we could be proud of it. But now we're playing catch up. Mm -hmm. And I don't applaud people who are burning the candle at both Both ends. ends. It tells me something was broken. Now, Mm -hmm. it may not be the average HR lady's fault that she didn't work on it a year ago. Mm -hmm. But what's the next thing we're missing out on because we're not working on it today? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. That's a Debbie Downer. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Well, listen, it depends on how you look on it. Look at it. I think it's a, you know, 
definitely room for us to do better. Um, there's nothing much we can do about the past because you know COVID-19 is here but you know to really take an opportunity to do some serious introspection on how do we go forward from here what does that look like there's exercises you can do on risk management you can start to think about all right the COVID pandemic that we have right now is actually not terrible. I mean, it's, te- it's terrible, terrible, but it's not as bad as it could have been. So mm-hmm. how do we prepare for the next terrible thing to happen? Yeah. How do we make sure that we're preparing for climate change and mm-hmm. the disruption to connectivity if we're all at home? I think that's a real issue because yes. as the climate changes, access to power becomes iffy in some places. Mm-hmm. What if we have a remote workforce, but the power goes out? because of a hurricane or because of some earthquake here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think there are just conversations we need to be having about 2022, 2023 and start to do some uh, risk assessment now so that we're not caught up like Mm -hmm. we are today, Mm -hmm. burned out, figuring Mm -hmm. out how to stand up a work from home program. I'm going to take you to a, a series that I've been watching recently on Netflix called Down to Earth. It stars Zac Efron. And well, wait, I love Zach Efron, so (laughs) say no more. (laughs) So, Zach is uh, on this show, he's traveling the earth, he's traveling the world, and he's looking at different countries and you know, sustainability, living a healthy lifestyle, and so on. And one of the countries that he he touched um, was Cuba, I think it was Cuba. And what he was, one of the places that he went to uh, actually grows potatoes only, different types of potatoes. And the rationale behind it is if the world ever, God forbid, came to a state of ruin, you would still be able to go to these particular places to get this food to grow it. So it's every possible potato you could have. And what they said is that they have these places all over the world growing different things that should, God forbid, something happened. It was a huge crisis. We couldn't, we had no access to food. These places we would be able to get food from, they would be able to ship to us that we can continue to have food and it made me think of this whole situation from an HR perspective why do we not have why was there no major HR war room Um, of all we have so many what they call HR great minds Mm -hmm. (laughs) we have so many minds uh, uh, across our community if you look at LinkedIn there are over 80 million HR professionals on there that not one had said let's create a war room and figure out together how we survived this pandemic to help our organizations it kind of made me think like you know hmm Julie, that is deep thinking. And it's also the power of continuous learning that you just demonstrated. You're passionate enough to watch a show with Zac Efron on Netflix and to apply it to what you do for a living. I mean, this is like the work that every HR professional ought to be doing because there's learning in every opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Why is there not one consortium of HR professionals? They don't physically have to be in the same room, but really thinkers and leaders of our industry. I think the answer to that is capitalism because Sherm thinks it's that. Mm -hmm. 
CIPD. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. CIPD thinks it's that. And there's no cross collaboration. And mm-hmm. because of those silos, we're limited on innovation and creative mm-hmm. thinking. So Julie, that's really interesting. I love that. I am challenging that we need a world HR consortium. You, if- you know what? Put that on your list of things to do. Twitter, here I come. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, Lori, what is next for Lori Rudiman? <laughs> Good question. Well, I'm going to get this book out the door and that's my goal. I'm excited. Thank you. I appreciate that. It comes out on uh, the 12th of January Mm -hmm. and um, I've already, as I'm speaking so eloquently with my uhs and ums here, I'm going to work on my speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I am currently working on my next book, which I'm super excited about. I'm just in the developmental phases right now, but I've Mm -hmm. given given myself the freedom to really spend some time on this. And my goal is to have a book out in 20, early 2023 on corporate drinking culture. I'm fascinated by how people bond and function or don't function Mm -hmm. with alcohol in their lives at work. And so that's my next book. That is very interesting. Believe me, I love alcohol. I love it too much. Jennifer and I could polish off a bottle of champagne on a balcony looking out at the ocean anytime. But I also <laughs> know that I don't function well at work mm-hmm. the day after. And so yeah. I, yeah. I'm just interested in drinking cultures in general. So that's what it's about. So that's wow. what's next, along with just writing and speaking and all that. Yes. Kind of stuff. But thank you for the opportunity to talk about my ideas, to be of service to your community, and mm-hmm. just to spend some time with you, Julie. It's really nice. Oh, this was an absolute, my absolute pleasure is an honor for me. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you're a very busy lady. And so I really do appreciate it. And I know we're on the brink of the holiday season. So I appreciate it even more when you could be spending time with your family that you are taking some time to talk to me today. They're grateful. They don't want me arguing anymore. <laughs> About hot chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> They're like, can you do another podcast, please? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It was a pleasure. You are so welcome, Laurie. And I look forward to having you back again. Um, I would love to talk about your book because I'm looking forward to my personal autograph copy. Hint, hint, hint. And it's it's a doable (laughs) thing to make happen. (laughs) And I would love to talk about your book and I'd love to talk about your book in 2023 when that happens. I think that that is a very interesting topic. And then we're going to figure out other ways that we can work together because that's what community is about. I love it. I'm in. Just say the word. Thank you once again. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next sound off.